Well, on November 1st, 2014, uh, the woman of my dream said yes to me and my life will never be the same, right? And uh, it's an exciting thing. Uh, we are uh, now rapidly getting prepared for a wedding and there's a lot to do. Um, it's a lot of fun, but uh, it's, it's crazy. And uh, today, one of the things that we did to kind of take that step and continue to prepare is we got her ring resized. Uh, so we went over to the jewelry store and brought her ring. And I don't know if any of you ladies can imagine this, but she wasn't super excited to separate with it. You guys know what I'm saying? It's like, once he puts a ring on it, let's not take it off, right? Like, they, that, they, they, I mean, they had to pry it from her coat. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, it, you know, it is a little bit weird because for her over the last few days, she's had a continual outward sign of an inward reality um, that, that she can uh, walk around in the confidence and knowing that people know that she's an engaged woman. Makes me feel better too, you know what I'm saying? Because she's cute. And, uh, and it's been an incredible journey for us to see the dynamics of our relationship shift and change, moving from dating and uh, uh, becoming a, a, a discovery of whether or not we should spend the rest of our lives with another uh, moving, moving from that to engagement, now we are planning the rest of our lives with one another. And it's been an awesome journey. It's been an awesome uh, experience for us to be able to walk out. And I was thinking as we were leaving the jewelry store, you know, and I even made this comment to, uh, to her as we were kind of handing the ring over. I said, you know, I'll still be engaged to you. And I was thinking as, as we left the jewelry store, you know, what how sad would it be, how, how terrible would it be if we began to relate to one another like a dating couple since the ring was no longer on her finger? And it seems kind of absurd to think that people might do that, and, and it really truly would be absurd. But, but for us, our relationship, this engagement that we've stepped, to, it, it stepped into, it's the next step in a progression that God has been unfolding between us, moving us towards marriage. And the engagement ring is really just a, a part of that story. It truly is an outward sign of an inward reality. Over the last few weeks, we've been uh, in the book of Galatians, and that is where uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, a church that had been planted in the city of Galatia. And uh, this particular church was full of people uh, who were a part of uh, the, the Jewish religion. They were a part of the, uh, the, the nation of Israel. And as such, they were considered to be the people of God for hundreds and hundreds of years. And in comes Christ, who uh, lives a perfect life on this planet, dies a, a death that he didn't deserve, but instead that, that we humans deserved to die. He resurrected from the dead and in that extended by faith the opportunity to be brought back into relationship with our creators, which is what we know as the gospel. And the gospel had been preached by Paul and some of his friends in the region of Galatia. We learned all about that in our journey through the book of Acts. And after Paul goes through Galatia, he begins to hear that some people are teaching some things to the church in Galatia, to the Christians in Galatia, that are simply just not true. And so Paul writes this letter. 
And it's an appeal to the city, to the church of Galatia, uh, to begin to return to the gospel because they had strayed in terms of their thoughts. And we're going to jump into that uh, tonight. Uh, So why don't you guys grab your Bibles? We're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, it's on page 632 of the Mosaic Bibles. If you're in your own Bible or on your phone, Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. Now, Paul is writing, um, and, and as he is unfolding his letter, there are moments where Paul begins to uh, uh, kind of have this tone of frustration. And we're going to kind of get into the reasons why. But the reality is, is that Paul is seeing uh, these people that he loves dearly, who he has preached the good news about Jesus to, starting to stray away from the truth that they know. And so he's writing to them as an appeal. He's trying to convince them that the way that they ought to live and the way that they ought to believe is the way that he taught them in the very beginning. So we're going to jump in uh, to Galatians 5 and we're going to start In verse 1, Paul writes, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul's argument uh, begins to unfold as he says, Hey, when, when Jesus came to the earth, when he stepped off of his throne in heaven to chase after human beings, to live a life that they should have lived but didn't, to die a death that they should have died and didn't, and resurrected from the dead, which they couldn't, so that we could have eternal life by faith in him. Paul is arguing that, that a part of that process, that, that, that freedom would unfold as a result. Freedom from many things. Freedom, for, for one thing, from, from the, uh, the need to relate to God based on our performance. For the, for the Jewish people, God, uh, as, a, as a means by which uh, it would prepare the people for Jesus to come, God gave this thing called the law. It's what we know as the Old Testament, particularly the first five books of the law. Uh, it's called the Pentateuch. Those first five books are uh, the, the means by which the Jewish people were to relate to God. And the law was, uh, was a very, very heavy burden to the Jewish people because the law was, it was meant to be uh, a way by which they could continue to relate with God even though they were imperfect. But the law continually reminded them that they were imperfect, right? Every time they messed up or broke the law, they had rituals and rites and things that they had to do to perform to get back on track with their relationship with God. Which seems a little bit, uh, you know, kind of harsh and, and, and maybe a little bit rough for those people. But the reason why God gave them the law, it says in Galatians chapter 3, is so that it would prepare them to recognize that they can't meet God's righteous requirements on their own. When you try to live a perfect life, you don't go very long uh, before you recognize that you just can't live a perfect life. Uh, for I don't know about you, but every morning I wake up and I look at myself in the mirror, I realize something's wrong with the world uh, in general and with me in particular, right? So we recognize through the law, the, the human race began to recognize through the law and specifically the Jewish people 
recognized through the law that there was no way for human beings in our sinful, rebellious state to live a perfect life. And so Paul is writing to them saying, hey, in Christ, you have been set free. Free from the, the, the yoke of slavery to performance. In addition, we are free from the yoke of slavery of our sinful nature. We are free from the yoke of slavery of our rebellion. We are free from the power and the bondage of sin in our lives. And it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. God wants us to live a life of freedom. So he continues in verse two. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. What is he talking about? Well, in the Jewish uh, religion, as part of the law, God gave this thing called circumcision, which was an, an, an ability for the Jewish people to be set apart from the rest of the world, that they were marked as God's people. And circumcision was a way for them to relate to God. As a, it's an, it was an outward expression of the reality that they were God's people. And so what happened is in Galatia, there were many Jewish people. As Jews began to become Christians, as they began to see, oh, Jesus actually is the Messiah, the, the promised one, the one that we've been waiting for for hundreds of years to, freedom, uh, to free us from our burden. Jesus is the Messiah, so we're going to follow him. We're going to live for him. We're going to believe in him. These Jewish people became Christians, and other Jews were coming in and saying, well, Jesus is awesome. That's great, but you need to continue to relate to God through the law. You need to continue to have outward signs of inward realities. And circumcision was the particular, uh, the particular piece of the law that they were pointing to to say, okay, Jesus is great, but you also need the law. You also need to be a Jew. You also need circumcision. And what Paul is arguing is that if you think that you need circumcision to relate to God, then Christ is of no advantage to you. Because you're still trying to do it all on your own. He says in verse 3, I testify again to every man who accept, accepts, uh, accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. What Paul is saying is, look, you can't just pick and choose. You can't say, well, we're going to do, uh, you know, we're going to do circumcision and Jesus and that's going to be the way that we relate to God. What Paul is saying is, no, it's Jesus only. And if you want to, to relate to God by the law, good luck. Because perfection is unattainable by sinful human beings. And so what he's saying is, you, you've got to choose to Put your faith in Jesus as your righteousness rather than depend on your good works. And we choose that as a response to God's grace. And what he's saying in verse 4 is, is a, a nice circumcision pun. Uh, you are severed from Christ. Some of you guys never caught that before. You're welcome. That was no extra charge. That's uh, great. Uh, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. 
See, for people who, who want to look at their own life and point to the law and say, see God, my life lines up with the law some of the time. So you should justify me based on the fact that my life lines up to the law some of the time. And what Paul is saying is, no, your life does not perfectly line up to the law. In fact, Paul, his pedigree, he was in the group called the Pharisees. And they were actually the best of the best at understanding and interpreting and living out the law. And he, he is declaring to them, listen, I am an expert in this category. You can't do it on your own. And he's saying, look, you who desire to be justified by the law, you can't do it. And you're severing yourself from the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. Verse 5, he says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. He's getting back to the gospel, that the Holy Spirit is drawing us by faith, not by our own works, not by our own human decision or our own will, that the Holy Spirit is drawing us by faith, We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. What Paul is saying in verse 7 is, look, circumcision or uncircumcision is no longer the point. We're not relating to God anymore by our outward signs of expression. We're relating to God by this inward reality of faith and the grace of Jesus Christ. He goes on in in verse 8 to say, This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This this, uh, idea that you can do it all on your own, uh, it didn't come from God. This came from false teaching. We did a message a few weeks back about false teaching. You should podcast it. It is fantastic. Renault did a great job with that. But he's saying a little leaven in verse 9. It leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you, this false teacher, uh, or these false teachers, uh, the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Verse 11, he says, If I, brother, still preach circumcision... Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the gospel has been removed. See, what Paul is is doing is he's setting himself apart from uh, the the Judaizers, the people who are saying it's Jesus Christ plus circumcision equals righteousness and justification. And Paul is saying, no, if I was preaching that, they wouldn't be persecuting me. Paul received extreme persecution in the region of Galatia over this very issue. And what Paul is saying is, look, if I, were, if I were preaching circumcision, I wouldn't be persecuted. But what does he say in, uh, in verse, uh, verse 10? Yes. No, no, no. Verse 11. He says, in that case, the offense of the cross of Christ has been removed. Why is the cross of Christ so offensive. The cross of Christ is so offensive to these Jews specifically because for the Jews at this time, their perspective was that God's chosen people were the Jews. 
that they were the ones who were chosen to receive a relationship with God. And it was through the law that they experienced that relationship. But what Paul is saying is that there is an offense to the cross of Christ. Why? Because in the cross of Christ, all people everywhere are invited into a relationship with God that is not based on their own performance or their own ability to do good, but based on Jesus Christ's performance and his ability to do good. That God is inviting all of us into a relationship with him and he is saving sinners recognizing that they could not do it on their own, but that Jesus did it for them. And by faith, sinners can be made right with God as we put our faith in Jesus for salvation. What an incredible truth, but how offensive must that have been to those people who thought that they were the chosen ones? So what Paul was saying is that the cross is offensive because Jews are not the only chosen ones, that Gentiles can be forgiven. That Samaritans can be forgiven. Jews at that time hated Samaritans. They were considered to be half-breeds. They were were, uh, despised. This is why the parable of the good Samaritan that Jesus told was so offensive in that day. That Jews could be uh, saved. Uh, Not just Gentiles and Samaritans, but Jews could be saved. Uh, That anyone could be saved. That a murderer could be saved. Jesus is is on the cross and he's hanging between two criminals. And he's saying to the criminal, hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise. That no matter who you are or where you're from or what uh, what you have done in your past or what is going on in your present or even what you will do in the future, God is extending his love and mercy and grace and salvation and righteousness and justification to you if you put your faith in Jesus and that to the Jewish people was offensive. And for us today, here in our Christian circles, for us, it's important for us to, to, to recognize the reality that not only we are the ones who can receive grace, but that every person everywhere, God is calling them to repent, no matter who they are, or where they're from, what their background is, or what their current reality is, that the, that the gospel can be made known to them and that they can experience justification and righteousness and salvation in the cross of Jesus Christ. But it offends our, our, our moral fabric, Right? When we recognize that people are not saved because they're good people who live in gated communities. But that they're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And nothing nothing that they've done can enhance that or degrade that. It's beautiful and it's offensive. And Paul continues on after saying that that, hey, I wouldn't be persecuted, but this is an offensive reality. He says in verse 12, kind of in frustration, uh, in, in a frustrated response to the people t- uh, that were false, falsely teaching, he's saying, look, I wish they would just, those who unsettle you would just emasculate themselves, which is a bold, really not super sweet statement, right? Paul, I just don't think that's very Christian of you, right? 
But the reason why Paul is saying this is, look, if you want to try to relate to God based on your performance in one area of your life, you have to relate to God based on your performance in every area of life. So that's why he says that a little bit of leaven gets through the whole loaf of bread. What Paul is saying is, look, you can't pick and choose areas of the law or areas uh, that, that you think God uh, could relate to you better. You can't just choose one or the other and not go the whole way. And Paul's saying, that's foolish. There's no way that you can do it. And I wish that those who unsettle you would be consistent. <laughs> wow. Verse 13, he says, but... He makes a transition and says, for you, you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. The gospel is a freeing gospel. It calls us into freedom. It calls us into freedom from, from the, the, the feeling of having to relate to God based on our performance. It calls us into freedom of the cycle of sin in our lives that we can never overcome our sin, that we have no power over our sin. Because in the cross of Jesus, sin has lost its power. And what God is saying is you are free. You're free. You're free from uh, the, the burdens of this religion. You're free from, from uh, living in sin and licentiousness. You're free from all of that. Every yoke of slavery that you could put on yourself, you're free from that. So be free, live free. And he continues by saying, look, you're free only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus was teaching on the planet, he was, uh, he was a rabbi, he was a teacher. People came to him to, to understand the, the books of the Old Testament more clearly and more fully. And there was this group that would always come to him and ask him questions to try, to try to trip him up because they were the religious elite of the day. And they came to him and said, hey, Jesus, how do you rank the, the commandments? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And that was a very uh, normal thing to ask a rabbi. Hey, rabbi, which commandment do you think is most important? And, and the, the commandment that the rabbi thought was the most important, that was part of what they would call the rabbi's yoke. And what Paul is saying is, don't go into the yoke of slavery of your own self-righteous uh, efforts to, to relate to God. Instead, take on the yoke of the rabbi Jesus, who said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of, his, all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus was able to boil down the whole law into these realities. And what Paul is arguing is that because you have been set free in the cross of Jesus Christ, instead of trying to work your way into a relationship with God, Instead of trying to live your life in such a way that God would be pleased, as you, uh, pleased with you, recognize that you have been freely given grace in the cross and freely given access to a relationship with God. And you've been freely given the opportunity to live uh, free from your sin. And, 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 and what Paul is trying to help them understand is that it's not 
it's not that, that living free from sin is a bad thing. It's not that any of this is wrong. It's that we ought to do this as a response to God's glorious grace to us in the cross. See, here at Mosaic, it's 2014. We live in West Orange County, South Lake County. It's 2014. Most of us are probably not sitting around going, you know, should I be circumcised? Should I not be circumcised? I really just don't know. I really want to relate. Like that is not our, our, our thing. If it is, come, come see us. We'd like to have a conversation with you about that. But what our tendency is as, as a church, because we're a church, man, we love to talk about living on mission, right? We're a church here that we're like, man, we want to live on mission. We want to change the world. If you haven't been around Mosaic very long, trust me, you'll hear more about this as, we, as you continue to be a part of this church, because that is what we are all about. I mean, our lead pastor, Renault, he has four biological kids and adopts four other children from Ethiopia. So he goes from a minivan to an auto bus. That's life on mission. I was on my way to, uh, to church today and I saw some lockers that were uh, for sale at an antique store. And I was like, Renault needs those for his kids. When you move from like, you know, drawers in the house to like lockers, you know you're living on mission, right? This is the, this is the thing that, that bleeds out of us. This is who we are. We love to live on mission here at Mosaic, but, but the temptation could so easily be that we desire to live on mission as a way to, to keep God happy with us. And what Paul would argue is, no, we don't do that. Jesus has made God happy with us. That is the glory and the scandal of the cross, is that Jesus' bloodshed makes God happy with sinful men and women. Because God is able to look on us and see Jesus, what a glorious thing. And what Paul is arguing is that we don't live in order to get from God. We live because we've gotten from God. We live in a response to the grace of the cross of Jesus. And so that spurs us on to live our lives on mission. And interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul, who's so frustrated in the book of Galatians regarding the issue of circumcision, in we learn that uh, early in the book of Acts, we traveled through this. We learn that in, in an effort and in an attempt to go reach Jewish people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul's got this Greek guy named Timothy with him in ministry. And Paul sits down with him in a room and says, Timothy, we're about to go share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who may Never hear a word we say if they know that you're a Greek who is uncircumcised. So in an effort for us to be able to live on mission in response to God's grace in our lives for the glory of God and the gospel, Timothy, I'm going to ask that you get circumcised as an adult male. And Timothy submits to that request. And they go live on mission and the gospel is proclaimed and God allows the story to unfold into the world. The people who are, are, are in this, reading this letter have benefited directly from, from Timothy's willingness to live on mission in response to the gospel via circumcision. Isn't that crazy to think? So Paul's not saying, well, circumcision's wrong and we're gonna rail against it. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that living in obedience to the law is wrong, so we're gonna rail against it. No, what he's saying is we don't do that as a means to try to earn our own justification. 
We do it as a way to love people well. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to kind of help you understand just a little bit more what I mean. 1 Corinthians 9 is on page 622 uh, of the Mosaic Bibles. And and this is Paul uh, writing about his ministry. 1 Corinthians uh, 9, we're going to start in verse 19 on page 622. And Paul is talking about this idea of of living on mission in response to the gospel and and what that that will, will actually call us into. And he says in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 9. He says, For though I am free from all, remember it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. See, what is the result of the gospel? The result is that we would love God because he has been so good to us. Our response to him is that we would love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And we would love our neighbor as ourself. And what Paul is saying is, is uh, okay, for, for though I'm free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Why? that I might win more of them. What Paul is saying is that God is on a search for souls. God wants to save human beings and I wanna be a part of that story. And so it doesn't matter what I gotta do. It doesn't matter how free I might be. I wanna lay those freedoms down so that I can win more people with the gospel. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. That's a a, a, a pretty huge statement. And Timothy is like, yep, I, I remember that moment. I remember becoming as a Jew. It was uncomfortable. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. Why? In order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. So what he's saying is, look, I wasn't under the law, but I lived my life in such a way that I, that I didn't offend those who were under the law because the gospel matters more than my freedom. So he says, uh, not, not as though uh, under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, the Greeks, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. What is the love of Christ or the law of Christ? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul becomes uh, outside, uh, not the law of Christ. He's continuing to love his neighbor as he loves himself. And he's saying, why? That I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. And I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Wow. Man, it's so great. What, what a freeing place to be. To say, God, you have been so gracious to me. A, a person who did not deserve your grace. And you've made me so free. I'm so free I can't even, I can't even comprehend my freedom sometimes. You set me free for the sake of freedom. Wow. As a response, God, I just wanna, I wanna live in, in such a way that I would love you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength and, and that I would love my neighbor as myself. That I would lay down my freedoms and what I feel is right for the sake 
of the gospel. Um, my dad died when I was uh, uh, five, and um, my mom, she's like a saint, like for real, like, like she's like, like she's amazing. She is, just loves Jesus like crazy, loves people, uh, has prayed for me every day. And I love that woman. And uh, she's been kind of uh, hanging out with this guy who I'm not a big fan of. Um, and, and he's not a believer. And, and they kind of have this weird relationship. And, and it doesn't feel right to me. And I've been wrestling with this idea of, do I invite him? Do I not invite him to the wedding? I don't know if you guys know this, but weddings are expensive. You guys know that? So the more people you invite, the more money you're spending, right? And money is a finite commodity. And so um, I'm wrestling, okay, do I want to invite this guy? And I know it's going to hurt my mom's feelings if I don't invite him because she, she, he's really kind of a companion to her. And, and, uh, and I don't feel right about it. And so I want to assert what I feel like is right in this moment and not invite him to the wedding. And uh, my fiance, who is incredible, says to me, uh, Joel, um, isn't the gospel going to be preached at our wedding? I mean, she knew the answer to that. Was, yes, it will. The gospel is going to be preached at our wedding. She said, don't you want this guy who doesn't know Jesus to hear about Jesus at this wedding? And I thought, you're right. Am I, am I free to not invite him? Is there, like, do I, can I go to, like, Romans 5, 7 and, oh, yeah, invite Barry to your wedding. Okay. No, I'm free. I, I'm, I'm free to not invite him to my wedding. After all, it's my, you know. But the gospel. I want people to know Jesus. I want, a, I want people to hear the gospel in any way possible. And marriage is such a beautiful way to proclaim the gospel. And so I want that to, to be a reality. So we're going to invite him to the wedding because we get the opportunity to lay down our freedom so that we might win more. See, Paul was able to, to have this perspective, which is not an easy perspective to have, right? Paul was able to have this perspective because he saw that Jesus who was fully God, totally, perfectly uh, good and content in the Trinity, in heaven, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. Jesus became a baby in a manger. The God of the universe took on human flesh, and became a helpless baby to be raised by a young woman, to live life and experience the pain of this world and to be perfectly submitted to the Father and to die a death he didn't deserve, hung on a cross after he'd been beaten to a pulp by those he created. Paul was able to have the perspective of laying down his rights for the sake of mission in response to the goodness of God because he saw Jesus do it first. 
Philippians 2, Paul writes that Jesus, although he was completely equal with God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but instead he emptied himself and made the great condescension to the earth, put on human flesh, and, and he did that because he wanted us to be redeemed. So what Paul is, is encouraging us to do is, is not to try to live our lives in such a way that, that would make God feel a certain way or think a certain way or do something for us. But man, if we could just recognize the glory of Jesus in the cross, if we could just recognize how much was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. Jesus, if you're here today and you know Jesus as your savior, it is because Jesus accomplished your salvation the day he died for you on the cross. He accomplished your eternal life the day he resurrected. Jesus, there's, what, what else can you add to that? Nothing. Nothing. So instead of trying to create all of these outward expressions, well, I'm a good Christian. I go to church every week and I read my Bible and, and I volunteer places, you know? Instead of trying, none of those things are bad. We love when you're at church. We're happy to see you. We're glad you're here, right? It's okay. It's good. We like when you volunteer, especially in children's ministry. Do you know how many children are here? We keep adopting so many and it's awesome and it preaches the gospel, right? And we have so many kids and it's amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And we love when you volunteer, but it doesn't change the way God feels about you. And if you don't volunteer, it doesn't change the way God feels about you. He loves you. And when he sees you, he's really looking at the righteousness of Jesus. What else could we do to respond to that kind of love and grace? But to love him with all of our hearts and souls and mind and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves. To be willing to take on Jesus' yoke. To love God, love people, and serve the world. That's what Galatians 5 is all about. I pray that we as a church would would be a church that would be just freaked out about the goodness of God in the gospel every day. And that every day that would change and shape the way that we live. Man, what a story. What a story that would unfold here at Mosaic Church. God, we're so thankful for the gospel. We're so thankful for you. We come to you tonight recognizing our frailty, recognizing our inability to live a perfect life, recognizing our need for you, Jesus, to stand in our place as our righteousness, recognizing our need to be forgiven by a holy God because, God, we fail and we've blown it and we struggle. God, I pray that the incredible reality that that is available to us, that we can actually be forgiven by you, that that is something that would blow our minds and reorient our lives, that we would forever 
be grateful and that we would respond to you by loving you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves and and that that would spur us on to lay our freedoms that you've given us down for the sake of the gospel and the mission of God on this planet. God, please help us to grasp this truth tonight. We would not try to relate to you by our own works. That's so tired and it, and it, never, it never accomplishes the goal. God, we can only relate to you by the grace of Jesus Christ. God, help us to grasp this. We respond to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.